believe. <laughs> Thank you for the children's school. Thank you for the scripture reading. Thank you for the song. It's a privilege to be here again. Uh, let's begin with the scripture reading, the text that was read. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. Israel gathered for worship and sacrifice civilians, but the Philistines come with an army. Israel is no way ready to fight. They are predestined, humanly speaking, predestined for loss. But there is a Samuel, the true prophet of the Lord. And the people knew it. And they pleaded, don't stop praying for us. Don't stop praying for us. And Samuel offered up the offering, pleaded with the Lord, the scripture says he answered his prayer, lightning and thundering came. Now, what happens when lightning comes, brethren, and you wear iron gears? Well, the lightning comes pretty close to you to shock you, if not kill you. The Philistines had no chance. Do you follow me? The Philistines had no chance. And brethren, there is a lesson to, to be learned from that history. Because, unfortunately, the Philistines are with us. But you have to remember the story, what went before. Turn one page back, one page, just one page if you follow me in the Bible. First Samuel chapter 4, I begin to read verse 1. First Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside where? Ebenezer. So there was a community named Ebenezer. And the Philistines had camped at Ephek. I just repeat the story briefly because those were written for our learning. For our learning, brethren. And good stories are to be retold. Amen? Yes. The Philistines and the Israelites meet 
Israel is defeated, and the scripture says 4,000 men from Israel is killed. They go back and they ask the question, why? Is this a reasonable question? It's more than reasonable. Oh, the Lord was not with us. They send to Shiloh, to the high priest, let's fetch the ark. They bring the ark. And when the ark arrives at the battlefield, or near the battlefield, Israel shouts so that the earth trembles. And the Philistine says, what's what's going on? What's going on? Oh, the gods, plural, the gods of Israel came into the camp. The gods who really punished Egypt and all the miracles, the Philistines remembered past history. Are you with me, Brendan? That's in the scripture. I'm just refreshing your memory. They said, we better fight as never before and don't serve the Jews. So we begin to fight. They win again. This time they'll kill over 30,000. At the first battle, only four. Now, 30,000 killed, including the two sons of the high priest. But the tragedy of tragedies, the greatest tragedy is the Ark of the Covenant is captured and the Philistines take it to their own temple. What is their understanding? Our gods, plural, have overcome the gods of Israel. And unfortunately, unfortunately some Israelites might have believed the same. Are you with me? When Eli heard the news, he could take the news that two of his sons were killed. He could take it. But when he heard the news that the ark itself was captured and taken, he couldn't take it, fell back, broke his neck, and died. But brethren, as I said in my remark, I said I I, I better save that topic for my sermon instead of... The issue is righteousness by faith. It was at the gate of the garden between Cain and Abel. It was the issue between Noah and his community. It was the issue... With Moses, as I said, first when he killed the Egyptians. And then it was the issue at the 16th century Reformation. Righteousness by faith. And may I say this reverently. The ultimate conflict, the ultimate conflict that you and I have to face will be the question of righteousness by faith. It was the issue of 1888. I'm not going down that road now, but 
I am simply saying it was the issue, it is the issue, and it will be the issue. And we must understand. Man, the scripture says that the ark was seven months in the hands of the Philistines. They thought, and some Israelite might have thought too, that their gods are superior to our gods. Misconceptions, unbiblical conceptions, not knowing the scriptures, only that way can you come to that conclusion. But the Lord decided to teach both Israel and the Philistines that there is only one true God. And you better learn. They put the ark in their temple and what happened to Dagon, their God? Just fell on his face. Oh, it was an accident. They set him up again. Next day, he fell again, but this time the arms and the head broken off. You know, more damage. So finally the Philistines came to the conclusion it was not just accident. Besides, painful sores were on everybody. Oh, we sent we sent the ark to the next city. They sent it through three different cities. Are you with me so far? You know the story. I'm just repeating. But you must remember the story. It is an essential knowledge to righteousness by faith. So after the third city, the Philistines says, we can put up with this ark. They consulted together. And they said, we have to send a gift. We cannot send this ark back without gifts. Do you realize that the God of Israel was winning the battle? Very few perceived it so, but the battle of righteousness by faith. So they ultimately had the cows, you know, and separated from their calves. And you know the story. The cows went straight home to Israel. The scripture says later on that during the time of Samuel, the Philistines did not dare to attack Israel. Israel had peace from the Philistines. But how was Israel saved at that gathering at Ebenezer? Civilians against military power. No chance. But there was a prophet interceding, pleading with the Lord, and the Lord honored the word of his prophet. 
brethren. We better learn that lesson because we have to confront our enemies. Now, what is my burden? You remember, I'm not asking if you remember the date, but I was here on December 10th last time. And those who were here received a, an envelope like this. Now, anybody here today who was not here at that time, uh, raise your hand and Penny will give you an envelope. Those who were not here, and I highly recommend you take it, One per family, okay? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <coughs> there are four items in that envelope. Four items. Please don't read it. Uh, do me a favor. Read it at home. Listen to my sermon. I worked on this sermon. You ought to honor me by listening to me, okay? <laughs> you can read it, and I would recommend you put it at the head of your bed, and every night when you go to bed and you cannot sleep, take out one of the papers and reread it and memorize it, okay? I do it. I do it because I feel that we need to know this material Backwards and forwards. Are you with me? What is the issue? The issue is spiritualism. Spiritualism. The greatest deception is yet to come. The spirit of prophecy tells us clearly that Lucifer will appear as Christ. But before that happens, his angels will appear to you, claiming to be your father, mother, brother, sister who passed away, and will tell you stories that are true. And once I gain your confidence, then will come the lie. Now, how will you meet this story? Now, brethren, it's a serious issue. It's a very serious issue, and I, I feel the burden. I like to tell you a biblical story about this, but also an experience in my ministry in the 1960s in New Jersey. So practical. I, I plan to give you some practical, not only theory, but brethren... It's important that you read and reread and reread. Okay? Um, let's. I have my handwriting here. I'm getting old and have to depend on the handwriting. My memory is. Letting me down here and there. Are you familiar with that? 
spiritualism. Spiritualism is the belief that the spirits of the dead, who? The spirits of the dead can communicate with the living. That's the simplest but correct, theologically correct definition. Let me repeat it. Spiritualism is the belief that the spirit of the dead can communicate with the living. Now, synonyms here. Spiritualists, mediums, channelers, clairvoyants, psychics. Contact the dead relatives. But these are all the same. Are you with me so far? The essence of spiritualism, I'm quoting, the essence of spiritualism, the rejection of God's law as the absolute right and wrong objective criterion to distinguish between good and evil. In other words, it is the word of God, the ultimate rule who defines what is right, what is wrong. Just a few weeks ago, I spoke to an individual who is a good friend of mine. I mentioned this before. Well-educated, well-cultured, refined gentleman who attends spiritualistic seances for the weekends. Invited me, I tell you again. Invited me. Igor, come with me. We are good. We are on first name basis, if, if it means anything to you. <coughs> first name basis. He's as old as I am. I am as old as he. <laughs> we are both refugees from 1956, so... There is a historical connect. But in religion we differ like day and night. He said, Igor, it's very simple as we do it, very simple. We sit down, we sing a few hymns, Christian hymns, yet you find in other churches. But then the medium comes in in the middle goes into trance, shakes a little. Then the medium says, okay, whom you like me to invite? Whose spirit? I said, friend, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And you don't want to go either. Is that correct? You don't want to go. essence of spiritualism substitute a subjective standard for right or wrong in the place of an objective infallible word of God. Subjective standards, I set up my standard. I tell you what's right, what's wrong. No, I cannot tell you really. Ultimately, it is the word of God and if the word of God says it is wrong, regardless how you feel. Now, this friend of mine is a good friend of mine. 
quotation mark good. We are courteous to each other. When I visit his home, offers me some drink. He offered me, of course, some alcohol too. I said, no, you know I don't. Okay, some cookies and some seven-ups. But I had a burden for him. Because if he continues in that worship, he goes to hell. Pardon the expression. I have to be frank about it. You know that. So I gave him the same package that you got today. You remember, in that package, you have four pieces of literature. Four. Basic insurance against the deception of spiritualism. What? Basic insurance. You must read it. I cannot read it for you. I would love to, but I cannot. You, know. you have to do some homework, brethren. There's no buts about it, okay? No amen. <laughs> so I gave him that. Would you like to know what was his response? Exactly what I told you about the essence of spiritualism. Oh, Igor, the scripture is an old book. People made mistakes. You cannot trust the scripture. There are mistakes in the Bible. Brethren, if you accept that reasoning, you have no chance, okay? I told him, listen, my friend. The cardinal teaching of biblical Protestantism, sola scripture, sola fide, sola Christ, and so on. The Bible alone and the Bible is the ultimate rule of right and wrong. Spiritualism downplays the importance of obedience to God's law. Downplays the seriousness of sin. It underlines the idea that God accepts us unconditionally. Now, brethren, I have to stop here. I hope I don't offend you, but if I do, pick up a stone after I left the church, okay? Not inside. Brethren, there is no such a thing as unconditional forgiveness of sin. Are you with me? There is no such a thing as unconditional forgiveness of sin. He who repents and changes and turns from evil to good, he will have mercy. There will be, according to spiritualism, there will be no judgment or punishment for sin. Spiritualism is anthropocentric instead of 
theocentric. Man-centered instead of God-centered, okay? Spiritualism is the most dangerous religion. In Old Testament times, mediums were executed. Ooh. They were executed. As long as Israel was loyal to the teaching of the Torah, they were stoned. Now briefly, let's consider how much time do I have? I don't want to abuse my time. But uh, I have quite a bit to share with you. And it is important. Are you with me? It's important. Now, let's briefly consider a biblical story. A beautiful king. The scripture says he was a handsome man. I always enjoy reading stories. Joel knows my son-in-law. I am a romantic guy just like he is, except I am much older. <laughs> that's, that's a significant difference, you know. Uh, but I love to read good stories where the scripture or history speaks about Beautiful women, beautiful men. I mean, I, I don't mean the dirty stories, you understand. I mean the real, noble, beautiful stories. I enjoy it. Don't you? No, Saul was a beautiful man, a handsome man. He would have made a model today in Hollywood. That's another issue. That's not the point. He started out right. Samuel anointed him. He experienced the new birth. Are you with me, brethren? You read the scripture and read the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. He experienced the new birth. That's a big issue. That's a big issue. It's a salvation issue for you just as much as for me. Without new birth, goodbye heaven. We never make it. At least I heard one amen, brethren. But whether one amen or a million amen, it is still the truth, okay? But Saul started out very well. And uh, under him, David was a little boy who killed Goliath. And unfortunately, David was handsome too. And some of his sons, if you read it carefully. And the ladies courted him. You didn't hear me. What did they sing? Saul killed his thousand, but David killed his ten thousand. That was the wrong thing. Sometimes you don't have to compliment because 
you create more problems. But the point is, he was made king, he started out right. You remember the scripture says he was undressed when he came to Ramah, and he lay with the sons of the prophets, and the proverb started, is Saul also among the prophets? Yes, he was. But so did start out Judas too. When Jesus sent out the twelve, you remember? He gave all power to heal the sick, restore the sight to the blind, cast out devil, perform miracle after miracle after miracle. That was given to Judas too. It's, it's, it's a mystery that individuals who start out well lose their way. But you and I are not immune to that problem. Are you with me, brethren? It's a very serious issue. It's written for us because we are not immune to that problem. As Paul says, he who thinks he stands, let him watch, lest he falls. Classical example is David, whom the Lord loved very much. But when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, I think her grandfather's hand was in it. <clears throat> you know who was her grandfather? One of the wisest men in Israel. But that's another sermon. You have to come back when I, when you, provided you invite me back. I, I will not preach that sermon now. But the point is, Saul went downhill. Uh, how did it start? The Lord told him, go and exterminate the Amalekites. Because the Lord says, I remember what the Amalekites have done several centuries earlier. Now there is a lesson to consider. There is a lesson to consider several centuries earlier. But the problem is the children continued in the sins of their fathers. They did not repent. Just like today, who constitutes the Israel of God. You know, there is a dispensational interpretation that says God has two different plans for the salvation of men. One plan for the Christians this way, but Israel has a different plan. Brethren, there is no two different plan. Just one. There is no name given under heaven whereby we should be saved but, but Jesus, correct? Amen. There is no other way, brethren. 
And the Israel of God today is the church. Not the Israel who still officially continues to deny the messiahship of Jesus. Very serious issue. I am not an anti-Semite. But sins are sins, and if the children... We are not condemning the children for the sins of the fathers. That's in Ezekiel 18, you know that by heart. We are not condemning the children for the sins of the fathers. But if the children repeat and continue in the sins of the father, they are just as guilty as the fathers. Heavy theology. Heavy theology. Uh, Anyhow, the king of Israel got into a real difficult situation because the Philistines with big army were coming and the scriptures said when Saul saw it, he was afraid. He asked the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him by a prophet, didn't answer him by a dream, didn't answer him by the Urim and the Tumim. The Lord did not answer him. So what did he do? I am just retelling the story. You know it by heart, but you have to remember there is a lesson in it for us now. So he asked his servants, find me a medium. So he disguises himself, takes two of his mighty men to accompany him, and they walk over to Endor, to the witch. And uh, it's interesting, when they sit down, before she summons the spirit of the dead, really a demon, not a spirit of the dead, you know. She reminded him. She said, do you want to bring trouble on my head? You remember what Saul did? He chased away and executed all the mediums. Do you want to put my life in danger? And you remember what did Saul say? He swore by the name of the Lord that you will not be punished for it. He promised something that he had no power to fulfill. Are you with me? Because God was the ultimate judge. But what is the essence of spiritualism? I just shared with you. There is no judgment. Don't be afraid. God is love. Quotes Samuel comes. Did you stop the thing? Now I am I am swinging over to the Protestant misconception. Don't say pastor is a heretic, okay? I qualify what I'm going to say. I am swinging over the Protestant misconception. But Samuel went to heaven, correct? He was a righteous man. And going to be a witch, a medium, able to call him 
down from heaven into a cave to a man whom God has rejected. Brethren, there is no logic in it. Are you with me? Of course he, he was not in heaven. He was in his grave like everybody else. That's in this envelope, and you better study this envelope and reread it. Brethren, I have a burden for you. Now, Okay. I had a book here. From time to time, I, I cannot tell you all that I desire to say, okay? It would take too long and so on. Look, you have to invite me back. That's one way for me to prime you a little bit. But... <clears throat> Keep this envelope. June was bringing me the envelope. He says, Pastor, I return the envelope to you. You might use it. I said, no, uh, June, keep it because I want other books to put in it. This is just a container of good information, insurance against spiritualistic deception. Now, just briefly... You should put in this envelope last year's last quarterly. Last year's last quarterly. That's October, November, December. Are you with me? (coughs) (coughs) I have it here, and I'm rereading it. But there is one more book here. Uh, Folks, what I recommend, I'm not going to buy you. I mean, you know, I I would go broke if I (laughs) try to provide all the books for you, what I recommend. But believe me, these are good books. Stephen Bohr. Worship at Satan's Throne. I got this book in 2009 at Michigan Camp Meeting. Excellent book. Excellent book. Uh, There is so much information in it that will help you. Now, if you just study the four brochure or books or notebooks, magazines I put in that envelope, that will give you a basic security. But if you add those things that I recommend, it will definitely help you more. This is one of those books. Worship at Satan's Throne. The essence of it is If you write it down, it's Amplification of Early Writings, page 52 to 56. It is the Amplification of Early Writings, page 52 to 56. So if you have 
early writings, you have a good portion of this. Not everything, but a good portion. And what is the essence of that? The essence that when Christ, when 1844 came, what? 1844. Christ moved where? He moved from the holy place to the most holy place. And the real biblical believers moved him with him, correct? But there was a group of people who did not. You remember? And uh, Lucifer tried to step in the place of Christ, breathing his spirit on them and keep them deceived. 1844 has a tremendous historical significance. Uh, one more thing and then a short story and I finish, okay? I don't want to abuse your patience. <clears throat> I received two copies, one on the internet, one in a church. Four Adventist dilemmas, Peter Barkhazen. Now, brethren, with due respect to the gentleman, he, he's a THD. You know what a THD. It's more than a PhD. Doctor of Theology. And uh, he's a knowledgeable individual. I always admire people with Strong discernment. I never classified myself among those who received five talents. Just among those who are two. I don't dare to classify myself among the one because then I condemn myself. I am so crazy I am not. But brethren, with due respect, we work together in Ohio. I remember him when he was a conference evangelist. But he questions the historicity of 1844, the correct interpretation of righteousness by faith, and so on and so on. Brethren, that's sliding into Spiritualism. Sliding into spiritualism. Okay. Let me give you a practical help. A story, a true story. I told you when I started in my ministry in New Jersey, this happened in New Jersey in the 1960s, early 60s. I had a church member, a faithful, conscientious, real noble church member of my Hungarian church in Erthenboy, Mrs. Tsako. Mrs. Tsako was her number. And she had a neighbor who was a widow like her, about her age, a fellow Hungarian lived next door to her, 
who was a faithful Presbyterian, attending the Presbyterian Church Sunday. Mrs. Tucko attended the Hungarian Seventh-day Adventist Church Saturday. But they were still good friends. And Elizabeth, this Presbyterian lady, who otherwise was really a noble Christian, she said, Mrs. Tucko, something is happening in my home. And Mrs. Tucko says, what is it? My, my husband, whom I have buried years ago, comes at night, stands at the foot of my bed and says a few kind words to me. And he comes back over and over and over again. Mrs. Sacco knew, I know, I am living now in a senior citizen's housing project. Lots of, lots of elderly folks. I respect everybody's ears. Okay, are you with me? I respect everybody's ears. But with old age comes limitations. I put it politely, okay? I wrap it up as nice as I can. You can put in almost anything. And Mrs. Tucko knew that this was not the time to give a long Bible study. The lady was too old. She wouldn't have time, wouldn't have interest, what not. But she was just thinking, how can I help this woman? She says, Elizabeth, you believe in Christ like I believe in Christ. We both know that this is a name above every other name. When that spirit that claims to be your husband comes to you the next time, simply tell, in the name of the Lord, I commend you to tell me who you really are. Now, there was no strong expository explanation of the state of the dead. They were not ready for that. But the answer was correct. The answer was correct. Do you know that that spirit never returned? Do you know that spirit never returned? And why? Stop to think, why? Because if the lady had said that, he would have to tell her, I am not your husband. I am a fallen angel. But this way, he did not have to confess. And the spirit was hoping that his wife, quote his wife, uh, would continue to believe at least falsely. So if ever comes a spirit to you, claiming your relatives or friends, what will you tell him? 
In the name of Jesus, I command you to tell me who you are. Now, you should know better, you know. You, you don't have to have a confession from the Spirit. You have a statement from the Scripture, which is superior to everything. But just in case, just in case. Okay. I pass my time. Thank you so much. But remember, keep this envelope. And from time to time, we'll insert new information that you will have to reread and reread and reread. Thank you again. The Lord bless you. Real good. Amen.